Tonight we're recording these for our, our uh, website. We're recording everything, hopefully from this point on. So we are in chapter 6 of the covenant, speaking of the things of God and the covenants that are found within the Word of God. And this particular section, chapter 6, is on the participation. You cannot have a covenant, any kind of a covenant, without participation. It is pretty much impossible. Uh, We can see the formation of the covenant coming together between God and the first couple found in the Word of God, that is Adam and Eve. And even though the word covenant is not found in the story or the account of Adam and Eve, we know that it was a covenant because if you were to look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 7, which was in the list of scriptures for tonight, it says there, but like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant, they have dealt treacherously against me, that is against uh, Almighty God. I want us to examine the development of the covenant in the opening chapters of the Bible, and I want to lead up to, again, this participation section that we find here. The parties, of course, consist of God, who is the author of the covenant, and then we have Adam and Eve, who are also on uh, uh, within the works of this covenant. The precepts, or the commands and the promises of the blessing of the covenant, with Adam and Eve are seen in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And there it reads this way. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over all the cattle of the, uh, cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God then created man, verse 27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them. Now in the first couple verses here, God was speaking amongst himself when he said, let us. They had like a, a meeting. They all decided to do it this way. Now in verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, that is Adam and Eve, here's what you are to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. They were also given precepts or there were certain laws, rules, commands that God gave to them. And the only reason... I find some people say, well, who is God to give us commands? We have our own mind. We can make up our own mind and do things how we want. But when you think about it, he's the potter, not George. He's the potter. We are the clay. If he makes us into something, he has the right to tear it apart and restructure it to his liking. The commands or the precepts are found in Genesis 2.16, at least in Genesis 2.16 and 17 where it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But it didn't stop there. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. The problem came, we understand this, I believe, the problem came when they broke the precepts 
They broke the command. They heard what God said, but they decided because they were influenced by another creature. And they said, well, it doesn't sound as bad as it sounded originally, so we're going to do it our way. And they broke the precept. They ate the fruit of the tree that was forbidden by God. And that is when God introduces now the next part of the covenant, which is the piercings that we talked about over the last two weeks, and now the participation. We're going to find the piercing and the, and the participation kind of combined here in what we're going to speak of here tonight. And I find this interesting. I hope you do as well. If you're an observant student, unlike me, uh, you're going to see, see both of these in one verse. In Genesis 3.21, if you want to turn there, I'll give you a second to get there. But if we look at that verse, we're going to see participation as well as piercings, even though it's kind of implied. Genesis 3.21, it said, the Lord, made, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Piercing is there. Participation is there. Let me explain how, if you don't see it. There's only one way to get an animal skin. I've never seen a cow out in the field in the wintertime freezing because we're wearing his jacket. Somebody had to kill that cow. Somebody had to take that hide and present it in a certain way and prepare it in a certain way for us to wear our nice shoes or jackets or pants. I don't wear leather pants. But... Uh, there's only one way to get skins, and that is to kill the animal. There has to be a piercing, a slicing, a cutting of some kind. And we need to remember that the New Testament, Hebrews 9.22, you know what this says. Without the shedding of blood, what? There's no remission of sin. There's no remission of sin without, or no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Adam and Eve had to have the piercing of an animal. It had to take place in the mind of God. This is the only way it could happen so that its blood could be poured out. It's very life given in order for God to overlook their sin, to cover their sin. This happened when God killed, and this is interesting, God killed the first animal. But after this, it was different. God killed the first animal, and he prepared those skins as a covering. Now, we see this as simply, boom, they sin. God said, here's a covering from an animal, and that's just it. They're now wearing it, and their nakedness is covered. There's more to it than that, and we'll see that in the scriptures. I want you to remember, this was probably a very uh, traumatic event for Adam and Eve. And there's a reason why. Adam and Eve were very close to the animals that God gave them. I mean, you had the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my, that just came up around them and they were friendly. They were pets, we might say. They enjoyed their company. They would feed them. They would be a part of their life. There was no fear of them because man was to subdue them and take care of them. In Genesis 2.19, the Bible says they were created for him, brought by God to him, and man gave them a name. How this happened, I don't know. But in Genesis 2, and beginning at verse number 19, 
we read these words. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. Adam and Eve, I can only imagine, as they're in this perfect state uh, before they fell, before they disobeyed God, they were probably closer to these animals than you and I are to our doggies and puppies and kitties and ferrets, or if you have a pet pig in the house, why? Anyway, uh, they're probably very close to these particular animals. But then after the sin, after man falls, there is the consequence that comes as a result of his disobeying the direct orders or commands or precepts of God. So God takes one of Adam's pets, we might say, and he kills it. And he kills it right in front of their eyes. And I can only imagine, as I think about typology, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that this particular creature was not a lion or a bear. I can only imagine it was a lamb. Because the lamb is what fits the typology of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who poured out his blood on our behalf because of our failure to be perfect and needing a sin sacrifice. John chapter 1 verse 29 mentions that. And here we find that first type that's mentioned in the Bible. The lifeblood of the first animal sacrifice had to be drained out of the body of that creature, that animal, right in front of Adam and Eve. They had to watch this happen. They had to watch it happen, and it was the Lord is the one who acted as the first high priest over that sacrifice for those two people. I hope you see that. But it gets even worse. It gets worse in the, because the next, next aspect of this covenant is that a covenant requires a participating on the part of man. In my assumption, as I think about Scripture, and if I'm wrong, somebody pull me aside and tell me, but my assumption is that the Lord God made Adam and Eve watch this sacrifice take place. Anybody here ever watched uh, The Passion? You all seen that? Anybody? Have you? A lot of times, I've known people to do this. When it comes time for that beating, he's being whipped and everything, people will do this. Turn their head. I can't watch that. But I really think we should. Force yourself to watch that to get at least a small picture of what our Lord went through for you and I. For you and me. But Adam and Eve had to watch as that, that sacrifice was slaughtered. Cutting his throat, opening it up, and letting the blood pour out. And imagine how sick they felt because they realized that's happening. Why? Because we said, God, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do things how we want. My wife and I, a few years back, driving along somewhere, couldn't tell you where it was, but it was nighttime about like this and going down a country road and I remember hitting a German shepherd with the car 
You ever done that? Oh, I don't like doing that. I mean, it made us sick to our stomachs. I stopped the car, got out and looked for the creature, but I found that it had just crawled away somewhere. It must have survived, at least for a while, but it's a sick feeling. But even God takes it a step further than just simply having them watch the sacrifice. But in order for them to realize the severity of their disobedience, they were called on to put it on, wear it. They wrapped this jacket, we'll call it, around them. And every time they looked at it, it reminded them it's because we sinned. It's because we turned away from our God to a great degree. They had to wear the sacrifice. The text of Genesis 3.21 says that God gave them garments of skin of the animal to cover their nakedness. Now, at first, Adam and Eve were walking in the garden, didn't have to have a stitch on. There was no shame in that. They had no fear in that because they walked in a beautiful relationship with God that we will never understand on the face of this earth. But once they sinned, they broke that off and now they needed a physical and a spiritual covering for themselves. The word propitiation. Anybody ever, you've heard that word, I'm sure. Propitiation. When I was growing up as a child, I was told that it meant a bridge. It was a bridge that took you from one place to another. That's not the real meaning of it. The real meaning of a propitiation is exactly what Christ is. It is a covering a covering for our sinful condition. It was seen in the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant where the high priest had to sprinkle blood on the Day of Atonement. And here in the first sacrifice, we see not only a covering of their physical nakedness, that is the, uh, I'll say, lambskin, but also they needed a spiritual covering for their spiritual nakedness. They did not need this before, but after the fall, it was an absolute necessity. Adam and Eve had to participate in the covenant by wearing these capes of these animals on their body to cover the shame of their nakedness. And it was a constant reminder of the price of their sin. Blood had to be shed. Blood of something that they had grown to love. Somebody bring your animal in here, your dog, your cat, and we'll sacrifice it right in front of your eyes. As a matter of fact, we'll have you take the knife, knife and cut its throat. Anybody up for that? I would say no. You're not up for that at all, unless you're sick. Every covenant requires participation. We know this. The children of Israel didn't have to wear garments of skin. That was only for a period of time, for a period of, uh, for a certain reason. But they did have to be sprinkled with the blood when they entered into the covenant of God. In Exodus chapter 24, if you're following along in the, uh, the list of scriptures that we put out for this tonight, Exodus 24 and verse 8 <clears throat> Exodus chapter 24 and verse 8 says, 
So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. In Hebrews 9.19 and following, if you want to turn there real quick, let's jump over there as well. Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. For when every covenant had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats, the water and the scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. I want us to look now at the uh, covenant God made with Noah. Let's jump back a little bit and see what part- participation was required there for Noah. After Noah and his family had kept all the precepts of the covenant and God had brought them safely through the, the, uh, the flood and to the Mount of Ararat, Genesis chapter 8, we're going to look at the last few verses, three verses or four verses of chapter 8, and then go right on into chapter 9. Genesis chapter 8, beginning of verse number 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal, and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest Cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, pause just for a moment. That should take care of anybody who believes in global warming right there. Because as long as this earth exists, there's going to be cold and heat, summer and winter. I believe God more than I believe anybody else. In chapter 9, beginning of verse number 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the field and on every bird of the sky. With everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are given. Every moving thing is alive. That is alive shall be food for you. So have a mouse. That's not in there. I'm kidding. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, with its blood. It appears here that not only did Noah have to pierce the animals, that is, not only did Noah have to be the one to slit their throat and let the blood drain, but also he had to participate in the covenant by eating of that sacrifice. He had to participate by eating it. This is the first place that I find anyway where God gives permission or the okay for the eating of meat. You want to be a vegetarian, that's your call. 
But don't put down anybody else who wants to eat because God said it's okay. And he even says that in, in the book of Acts with Peter as well. Uh, but in the covenants of following the Bible, from this point on, there will always be man's part participation by the eating of the sacrifice. For instance, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse number 27. It says there, and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of, of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the flesh. I like that idea. Now requiring the eating of the flesh was just another reminder of the tremendous price of the sacrifice that was given for our sin or for their sin. You all know Chuck Daddy? Don't know Chuck Daddy? Wonderful little, little short preacher. He can't hear. He can't hear like he's deaf in a rock. But a wonderful preacher. Uh, he's put together different books on uh, different subjects in the, uh, uh, in the Bible. But his son, John Dowdy, and another man, Doug Hardman, went to Mount Ararat in 1990. And I got this out of one of the books that they put together. Uh, it says they were searching for Noah's Ark, and they say, at, at the uh, hospitable curds of the mountain offered us the knife to cut the throat of the lamb that we were going to eat that night. Here's the knife. You want to cut the lamb's throat? He goes on to say, not only did neither of us accept the offer, but when they went to do it, they turned their heads and couldn't watch. And they said that was the only reason, because we turned our head and didn't see that lamb wriggling and writhing until its blood was all out and had died. He said that's the only reason we could enjoy a feast like we did. It appears that God cut the flesh of the first sacrifice, but after the covenant with Adam, God always made man hold the knife. Try to imagine Noah and his family cutting the throats of the animals burning them on the altars, and then trying to eat them, enjoy a meal after it's been offered to God, roasted in sacrifice. Now don't forget that these animals are the animals that were spared through the flood. And again, it's a little personal uh, for these people, and we have to kind of put ourselves in their position just a little bit. But these were the animals that were spared through the flood because Noah had to build this huge box is basically what ark means a barge of sorts as directed by God and during these 110 days on the ark they were hand feeding these animals getting to know them getting to kind of have a bond with them like you do with your dog or your cat or even your cows somebody told me the other day they they kind of got used to it was it was Aaron and and what's her name? Uh, uh, Delora. They have cows and they, get, they give them names. Now, why? I don't know. Who are we having for dinner? Joey. <laughs> they name their cattle. And, you get and I even asked them, with this in mind, do you get close to them? Not really, if I remember right. Not really, but, but they do remember. But Noah had to hand feed these animals he showed them compassion for a year, taking care of them, nursing them. 
But the very animals that had to be labored over and worked over to be kept alive, they're now having to be the very ones because they can't go hunting. There's no other animals around. They had to take one of these and one of every clean animal. How many, how many pairs of clean animals did they take on the ark? Seven. How many pairs of unclean? Two. See, we sometimes teach our, kid that God, our kids that God took two, two kind of every creature. That's not completely the truth. He took seven clean and for this reason. Sacrificing the clean animals. And it seems to me as I read this and, and study this and, and try to absorb this as best I can, that God is once again trying to engrave in their minds, in our minds, that there is a wickedness to sin. There is a cost of forgiveness. And again, it's always, always, always blood. Always was, always will be, no matter what mankind may say, or how mankind might try to change the Word of God. This lesson, I believe, should uh, remind each of us here tonight of the church that we see in the New Testament, the Word of God. Because it is our sin, yours and mine, God chose, He chose Christ out of all the angels in heaven, no matter how glorious and awesome and obedient they were, He said, Son, you're the only one who can do this. God did not require Adam and Eve to die physically for their own disobedience. Rather, God sacrificed His own Son for our failure to comply. And that's why God sent Him from heaven to earth in the first place. He knew, Son, you leave here. That's what's going to happen. Not going to change. And we now, because of His sacrifice... Galatians 3.27 says, we put on Christ. And when we wear Him every day, we should be reminded every day the price it took for you and I to enjoy salvation, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, communion as a group of people together. We now put on Christ when we die spiritually to ourselves. When we give up our selfish desires, when we repent of sin, and when we are buried with Christ in baptism, the very one who created us, the very one who loves us far beyond the love that any, any couple, any group of people can have for their animals, he's the one who laid down his life for us. The creator of this universe said, I love you that much. Here's my son to die for you. Because that's the only way you'll get to heaven with me. And once we became a participant in his terms of salvation, we have, and that's why I brought it up at the beginning, we have the blessed responsibility, the blessed privilege of remembering what's up on that table every Lord's Day and the reason why. I want to close with Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know this by heart almost. Paul is speaking to the Roman church there and he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies 
a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So friend, tonight as we close this out, if you have not already, change your mind. Change your mind from what the world tells you is okay to what God says there's only one way. Change your mind and that will then change your behavior, your lifestyle, everything you do from that point on. If you need to make a decision tonight, we're going to sing our hymn of decision. 200. Number 200. Let's stand together.